0: What's up, everybody, and welcome in to the Under the Hood podcast. I'm Jonathan Hood. Every week or thereabouts, I hook up with you to tell you about the week that was on Cap'n J. Hood and some thoughts that I didn't get a chance to get to. That's why we do this podcast on Under the Hood. Tell people that you can still find Under the Hood on the ESPN Chicago app or right here uh, wherever you download Under the Hood. Thanks so much for being part of this podcast. Don't forget Cap and J-Hood. I'm on every morning, Monday through Friday, 7 to 10 a.m. with David Kaplan for Cap and J-Hood. You can find us on Instagram and on Twitter at Cap Hood. And as always, I appreciate your support over the years and anything that I'm doing. Also, the other podcast I'm doing is Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. If you're a wrestling fan or know someone that's into the WWE, AEW, and all the other alphabet wrestling companies, That's why you go to Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Have you heard about this? Have you seen this? Have you listened to this? Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. It's on its own separate feed on Spotify, and it's on Apple Pods and SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcast. Look for Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday. Forward that to someone for a holiday gift. So, as always, I appreciate you uh, joining me. Uh, Within the framework of this conversation, we'll hear from Len Casper, The new radio voice for the White Sox. We'll talk about that in just a moment. So if you missed that conversation, the first time he spoke about him moving from the Cubs to the White Sox was with David Kaplan and I. So you'll hear that conversation in its entirety coming up later in this podcast right here on Under the Hood. All right, let me get to some things here. First and foremost, the Chicago Bears, this weekend on Sunday, they will take on the Detroit Lions. And we know the storylines, right? The Bears just continue to slip, slide away. They just continue to lose. They lost to the Green Bay Packers on Monday night. That's not a surprise, right? But what was surprising is, is that the Bears just were so bad defensively. And I know that the defense will always get the benefit of the doubt in this city because we've had so many bad offensive coaches and players and just underwhelming offensive play for a long time. And so the defense more times than not has the opportunity to you know, do the best that they can to try to hold up their end of the bargain, but that was not the case against the Packers. Uh, they were the shits. It was bad. And so on that night, we are seeing the Chicago Bears lose And lose badly to the Green Bay Packers. (laughs) And I'm watching this and I'm saying, wow. This is not going well at all when both sides of the ball, offensively and defensively, are not being able to get it done. Now, Detroit has a new interim head coach. They fired Coach Pencil, Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia uh, underachieved from the moment he got there. And that's because Matt Patricia didn't know who he was. That guy was like Bill Belichick 2.0 had the pencil behind his ear, even though he never used the pencil, he had a laminated sheet in front of him, which was always weird for me. And I think that the players kind of saw through Matt Patricia and said, wait, dude, you have a laminated sheet. Why do you need a pencil? And who are you trying to emulate? Because Bill Belichick has a pencil behind his ear. And so it's just one of these things where another young head coach wants to be someone that he's not. And so the players saw through it. And of course, his offense and defensive schemes were not sound enough for the Lions to be even as good as Minnesota or the Bears, so he got fired. So this is an interesting game for the Bears. Because Matt Nagy, the head coach for the Bears, went off after the Bears lost to the Packers, like we've never heard before. And we always talk about these young coaches trying to be trying to figure out who you are, you know, be yourself. Matt Nagy is the next door neighbor that you really would love right nice guy looks you in the eye always with a smile and i know he's frustrated but he can never be as frustrated as bears fans that have seen this for generations even if you are a gen z and you're seeing the bears fall short year after year you might have a small sample size but you can be frustrated too as a gen xer i'm frustrated watching this every week to the point where for real it is a chore sometimes to watch Bears football. It is. It's a chore to watch this football team. Because when I'm watching the red zone and seven hours of straight quality football, and then I see the Bears come out, I have this feeling in my stomach like, oh God, this team is going to be so bad defensively. What's going to happen with this team now? And what I didn't expect is for the Bears' offensive defense to just go completely in the toilet at the same time against Green Bay. But it happened. It happened. It's so easy for Green Bay when they take on the Bears. No resistance whatsoever. So, we'll see what happens on Sunday against the Lions. I think the Bears can beat the Lions, but I will tell you, if the Bears don't beat the Lions on Sunday, it won't matter one way, shape, or form whether the Bears win another game or not. Because... To me, after Nagy made that big speech and just kind of ramrodded the, the Bears defense, a unit that's held their end of the bargain for two-plus years since Nagy's been here, I, you know, it, it was just completely out of what I would say his character for him to do that. But I know he's frustrated. But this thing is not working because ultimately his job is to be able to get it done offensively, to be able to lead this offense. And whether, whether it's Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles, it won't matter. It doesn't matter because the offensive system is broken. What does it come down to? It comes down to schemes and players and coaches and none of these things are working all at the same time for the Bears. It just isn't. I've been saying a lot with David Kaplan that it is important for the Chicago Bears to be able to find a president of football operations. It's important for them to find a general manager and a head coach. If you notice, the Chicago Bulls have restructured the way they do things over on the west side, the Chicago Blackhawks did the same thing by restructuring what they had been doing. The White Sox, the Cubs, they were all doing a restructuring of their organization, not just just finding good people, but restructuring their organization. And so the Bears have to do that same thing. If you're Michael, if you are George McCaskey, uh, not Michael, but if you're George McCaskey. You have to be able to look at your organization and say, what can we do differently to have sustained success? It makes no sense for Bears fans to be excited about one year of winning the division and falling short in the playoffs and then just falling completely off the map. Good teams in the NFL find a way to have sustained success, whether they win the Super Bowl or not. You just want to be a winning franchise in which the arrow is pointing up. And you don't see that with this Bears team. Michael Lombardi does a great podcast uh, with Adnan Verk called the GM shuffle with Lombardi and Verk, And they do a great job twice a week, breaking down some of the storylines around the national football league. Um, he said something uh, that I thought was a salient point regarding why teams continue to go outside the organization to find their next head coach. This is something that's symptomatic with the NFL where these rich owners do not have any football sense, that don't have the sensibilities to be able to look within the organization and ask people within the organization, okay, who is the next head coach or the next GM? Or how should we uh, go about looking for our next head coach or GM? Uh, this is something where the McCaskey family have to come together and say, you know, Virginia McCaskey's 98 years old, and she's not getting any younger. None of us are getting any younger, Right well, I think if you're Virginia McCaskey, even at your in the autumn of your life, you do want to see a winner, right? You want to be able to see a Super Bowl champion. And not to say it's going to happen tomorrow, but the point is, though, is that the Bears have done always the same old, same old, the same way. And so that has to change. Some thoughts from Mike Lombardi, who was a front office executive for many teams across the National Football League, on why teams continue to do this.
1: The problem with the National Football League is this, is the the people that run these teams have to rely on other people's information to make decisions. And because of that, they are subject to what the agenda is of the person they're on the telephone with. And this is why Al Davis was so brilliant, because Al Davis understood people had agendas, and people were lying to him and telling him somebody was good. And so he wanted to make his own decisions. And when you look fundamentally at the best teams in the National Football League, they divorce themselves from the league office. They don't listen to outside counsel. They make decisions based on their own gut feelings, based on what they see. Detroit goes ahead and hires a search firm. I'm sure Jacksonville will hire Jed Hughes in a search firm. I mean, this Jed Hughes search firm has got to be the, the biggest, it's, it's got to be one. It, it, it should have a 30 for 30 itself. Jed was a really bad football coach. A really bad football coach who got fired. He Jed Hughes was with us in Cleveland for one year, and it and it really was bad, right? It was bad. He hates me uh, forever, which I don't really have a problem. He hates Belichick forever, which I'm sure Bill doesn't have a problem. But the reality of it is, is, is he was in Cleveland, and the the Steeler organization made it told. Chuck Knoll you had to make a decision between Tony Dungy or they wanted to keep Dungy and they and this guy wanted to keep Jed Hughes and finally the Steelers organization being who they are got rid of got rid of band up getting rid of both of them Dungy went on to Minnesota but the reality was uh you know Jed, they got rid of Jed they wanted Jed Hughes out of that building and now Jed is advising co- advising these teams on who should be a good coach like seriously, like he's advising people on who to be a good coach. You know, it's, it just goes back to the Walsh line, it goes right back to the Walsh line. Bunch of ex-coaches now, a bunch of ex-bad coaches now telling good coaches what to do, and that's what it is. And Jacksonville won't ever win. They can hire whoever they want. They can have a thousand assets. They're never going to win because the reality of it is, is they don't structurally are not set up to win.
0: <laughs> and that's got to be for the Bears, right? He uses Jacksonville as an example, as David Caldwell, their longtime GM who was horrible, uh, was let go this week. And so the same thing relates to the Bears. That's why I talked to Mike Tannenbaum from ESPN. You see him on ESPN, on NFL Live, or Keyshawn, Jay Will, or Zubin. And he's on those shows, giving his expertise from his time as a general manager. So once I heard Lombardi and Verk talk about this in the GM Shuffle, I asked this question to Mike Tenenbaum about the same thing regarding the Bears. Mike, I want to ask you, if you're ever to go back into the front office for a team, is there still a value in 2024 consultants like Ernie Corsi and others that do this for a living? Like you've known football for a long time. Do you need a consultant today to be able to decide your general manager or head coach? What's the value of that? Yeah, I think that's all contextual.
2: I think there's a role for the search firms or a consultant to maybe validate what you're doing. But, you know, candidly, like when you're running a team, like the first order of business is to know, you know, it's the old page. Someone could get hit by a bus. It could be your video director, it could be your trainer, it could be your head coach. Um, your job is to know the, the next up and coming guys, and um, that's really, really important. Who's developing players? So, yeah, th- th- those other people, other, other resources, there's a time and a place. And, you know, I've been very fortunate to have a very tight inner circle and have some incredible mentors that have been able to, you know, look at things for me. Or, again, it's a lonely position to have, and you, you need people that you know and trust that can help. But um, I think sometimes what you see is, these search firms get way too involved and they don't really know they come in they're like hired guns and, they, and more fundamentally than anything else guys and this is what bothers a lot of people in the industry they have no accountability they come in, they get their fee, they walk out the door good or bad and uh, you know, when you're running a team, you're all in and it affects your life, your kids' lives and countless other families and that's what you want, you want everybody in the same boat and we're
0: going to sink or swim together so Mike Tenenbaum who was a GM the National Football League for several franchises on and J. Hood. I thought that that was one of our better interviews we did this week because it just kind of tells you, if you're the McCaskey family, it can't be Ted Phillips, the president of the team, choosing... The next head coach or GM once Nagy and Ryan Pace are let go, and whether it happens tomorrow, whether it happens at the end of the year, whether it happens next year, you got to think about turning the page because the team was not going in the right direction, especially offensively in an offensive league. And so that's that's what I look at. I I when I heard those two. Sound bites back to back from uh the GM shuffle. I said, I got to talk to Mike Tannenbaum about this. And, you know, he pretty much said, like, these guys are hired guns. You hire a search firm and they find their friend and they put them in that position to succeed. You know, just getting Gil Brandt and all these guys, they're saying, you know, who's a good coach? Adam Gase. Well, how's that working out with the Jets? Right. So. McCaskey's got to figure out how to surround himself with good football people. And this is not to disparage Ted Phillips, but Ted Phillips is not a football guy. He's a financial guy. And I would want Ted Phillips to try to find a new stadium for the Bears. That's, that's to me, the, the key for Ted Phillips. But when it comes to football and growing it, if, even if the team still believes in Ted Phillips, it's okay to be able to move on from Ted, let him do just financial work like Crane and Kenny's doing in the front office for the Cubs, And find football people to run your football operation. Not those that kind of know, but those that really do know. Kirk down the lane. There you go. Taylor for a three. Switch! Brian Taylor Next down that three from the left corner. And a timeout Loddick. 21-17. Flames with the lead. Oh, man. I had some fun. You know, I'm back as the... Television voice for the UIC Flames doing games with Chris Black, and I'm having fun. And the Flames are 3-0 going into this weekend against uh, Ball State. And um, if you haven't seen our broadcast, check them out on ESPN3. Go to the ESPN app, and you should be able to see it from there, um, especially if you have ESPN+. plus. But yeah, 3-0 and so far, and that was just a highlight of me doing the UIC game against Valparaiso. And it's different. And I will tell you, it's the first time that I've spent time away from home going live to a venue to be able to watch a game since, gosh, since the pandemic started in uh, early March. So I'm there at, at uh, Credit Union One Arena, and I've been there several times now, and it's a ghost town. It's Everyone's socially distant. Everyone is trying to stay safe. When I walk into the arena, they take my temperature and obviously I'm good enough to be able to go into the arena. And then we go on the opposite side of the scorer's table and it's me and Black and we're six to eight feet apart. But we've got our headphones on and we're doing it either with face shields or masks. And so it's different. And a lot of our personnel, the people I really enjoy working with around UIC are not there. There are no cheerleaders, there's no band. Uh, it's pretty barren there. Uh, it's just the essential workers, I guess you could say, for UIC to turn the lights on the arena and a few other people, and then the um, the broadcast team from ESPN Plus that does a great job of hooking uh, Chris and I up. But man, it's it's something. It's uh, it's a little different, that is for sure. And um, thank goodness I've been healthy. Uh, so far, knocking on wood and going to the UIC games, but it's one of the things I really enjoy. I love doing play-by-play and love being able to um, be a broadcaster for UIC for the basketball and baseball team. I signed up this year to do it, and i uh, looking forward to seeing more under the um, Luke Yakulich administration. He's a new head coach for the uh, UIC Flames. He is from LaSalle, Illinois. And uh, he's getting this opportunity now to be a D1 head coach after being assistant under Shaka Smart, under John line and a few others. So I'm happy for his success early. 3-0 so far going into the Ball State game this weekend. So I'm, I'm happy for him. And uh, good to be back putting the headphones on, and calling basketball. Again, we're trying to be, be as safe as possible. And I hope that you are too uh, during this COVID-19. Please stay safe. Um, seeing the news and just reading the reports about what's going on. It's uh, really, really tough out there. And I uh, hope that you can stay safe and stay healthy uh, throughout this COVID-19 pandemic. So let me tell you. I am hoping that on this new show that I'm with, with David Kaplan for Cap and J. Hood, that I'll be able to talk to you about basketball, whether it's college or pros. And I know that on the old Under the Hood radio show that I did at night, No one talked more basketball than me because I just thought that that was something that was lost um, on the rest of the broadcast day. And I enjoy talking about the NBA. I love the culture of the NBA. Have done some shows for years, I think over four or five years on NBA radio on Sirius XM. So, you know, I have an affinity for it, that is for sure. Um, But I feel like early on here that... I'm not being able to get enough Bulls content in on the show. We have our meetings, uh, Cap and I, and our producers, Danny Zetterman and Jeff Meller and J.R. Strauss. And, and, you know, we have a lot of things that are on the table. And there's a lot of things that hit the cutting room floor. You would think in three hours and in 15 hours of radio that we would be able to get some things in. And it's, it's amazing. Some things we try to get in, we can't. Uh, because of time constraints or we've got a hot topic going or you're ringing the phones off the hook because you want to talk to us about something. So uh, the key to our show is to acquiesce to you, to what you want to talk about. And uh, if you call us in abundance, obviously, we'll set our shit to the side and be able to talk to you. We're totally fine with that because we want to give you the opportunity to speak your mind on what's on you you know, what's on your mind regarding, uh, sports and different topics. So I, I totally am with that, but I will say this, that, um, I'm missing talking about the league or the bulls. And I know we're getting closer to the season. Hopefully they'll open up a little bit more that we can be able to talk more bulls basketball with you. I've seen you guys on Twitter, ask me about certain things with the bulls is, Hey, are you guys going to talk about this? And sometimes we're not able to get to it. So I am going to straighten that out either on the show or there's going to be a special podcast that I'm thinking about doing regarding the NBA and the Bulls, uh, they'll be part of the Cap and J Hood um, podcast, and I also will have it on Spotify. So stay tuned for that. I'm working on something in which you and I can be able to talk about certain things around the NBA or the Bulls uh, moving forward, uh, because I know there's a lot of stuff that's going on, with a lot of different teams and different storylines in the mornings, and we move really fast in the mornings. But I if we are not getting enough NBA content in on the show. I know it won't be as much as I did at night. I know that for sure because I enjoy doing that long-form conversations with NBA guests and um, Bulls guests regarding the team that you root for and on teams across the league. So if we're not going to do that as much on this show because of how fast-moving the show is and so many different topics, I'm thinking about doing a podcast that Captain J Hood listeners and, of course, Under the Hood listeners, you – uh, can be able to connect to, with me with. And I've been thinking about this over the last few days, and so stay tuned. If you follow me on social media, you'll be able to catch up to what I'm talking about. So um, so Billy Donovan talked to the media recently, the head coach for the Bulls. He's very well thought out, and he's got a lot of ideas about this upcoming Bulls season. Some thoughts from Billy Donovan, then we'll get to the schedule, because it just came out. Solid. Thank sure. you.
2: Eric Woodard with ESPN.com is next. Hey, what's up, Coach Donovan? How you doing, man? I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. You you talked about the challenges of you know this season and what what they bring, obviously with the, the COVID-19 and everything. But what steps have you taken specifically? Zach Levine talked about you know including him and you know certain things. You talking to him like taking that approach. But what steps have you taken to make this as normal as possible in like the new
3: the new NBA, I guess that that we dealing with right now. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things I've tried to share with the guys is my experience in Orlando, you know, what that was like and just how different it was and that we cannot really focus on how different things are. We've got to kind of really be, what I would say, elastic. We've got to maybe roll with the punches. We're going to have to deal with things that are going to be inconvenient. We're going to have to focus on the things that we have control over. Some of these things in terms of lifestyle and what these guys have been accustomed to is going to be a little bit different. You know, but the biggest thing I've tried to do with Zach or, you know, Thad or Otto and some of the veteran guys is just spend time with them. You know, share my experience in Orlando, talk to them about, you know, the kind of the mentality we need to have coming into this camp. You know, how we progress out and build out to try to create an identity on offense and defense. You know, those things are going to take time with the new coaching staff, them getting acclimated to, to me and our staff and me getting acclimated to them. And, you know, the one thing that's been good, a lot of these guys came back to market to kind of work out and train and stay in shape, and it certainly gave myself and the rest of our staff time to really start to talk to those guys and spend time with them and get to know them better. All right, the luck, is your coach. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Joe Kelly with the Sun-Times is up. Joe, go ahead. Billy, how you doing?
3: I'm doing good, Joe. How are you? Good. Um, Hey, not to throw the – former coaching staff underneath the bus but obviously guys some of the guys weren't thrilled with the offensive philosophy from last year and kind of expressed that you have shown that you kind of change your offense to the personnel what are you thinking about generally for this group as far as what they will flourish in Um, just like projected starting five of, of how they need to play and how they can be successful yeah, I, I think the one thing, Joe, watching them on film is I, I thought the group really competed and played hard. Um, one of the things that that I do, I, I try to do, and you know, I've obviously gone into different situations in college, going to Oklahoma City and now to Chicago. Is you know, I think the past is the past, and we need to focus on what's in front of us right now. I do think with this group, we have got to be really willing to. to we, we've got to run, and we've got to really be willing to to move and to cut and to help each other generate shots. I think that's going to be important for this group. You know, I think the starting five for me, you know, just it being so early it would be hard to say what that would look like at this point in time. But I do think from an identity standpoint, you know, what kind of shots can we create? You know, how good of a shots, can we create? You know, I think, you know, Zach is such a dynamic player offensively, but you know, we can't always rely on him being so dynamic. We got to rely on each other, you know, so how, you Can we build out a system offensively where, you know, we're not only playing to guys' strengths, but we're creating a situation where maybe, you know, uh, the sum is greater than the parts, so to speak, where we're all helping each other. And I do think a lot of that now is we're going to have to move and cut and, and work to generate good shots. And I think that starts, you know, on the rebound, being able to get out and run in transition. And I think it's really starts in the half court. You know, we're going to have to really put forth a great effort. Now, I do think one of the challenges for us because of the season starting, you know, how can we balance, you know, as a coaching staff, as a medical staff, how do we balance that, that, that fine line of getting in great shape, but also understand these guys need a ramp up time a little bit to get in shape. And, um, you know, I think we've got to figure that out going forward but I do think that we've got to be a team that's really willing to cut and move for each other.
0: Ah, good basketball content right there for Billy Donovan. This will be the toughest job that Billy Donovan's had in the NBA because it's a young group and uh, it's a group that I think is going to be good in the next few years. Uh, I don't know about this upcoming season because this season, it's so could be so upside down. There's already a st- uh, several stories I've read about COVID nineteen and a number of teams going through COVID nineteen. You know, it's going to be a problem. The NBA and the NBA Players Association jointly announced the positive tests out of 546 players tested between November 24th and the 30th. The league is 8.8 percent positive. Uh, it's lower than the national average of 10.2 over the same time frame. The NBA will test every player daily throughout the season. So it's something that every sport's got to deal with, and hopefully we will have a season. And at some point, maybe we'll have some fans in some of those arenas across the country. We will see how they'll be able to get this season in. But it. Uh, I'm looking forward to being able to talk to you and having a connection with you regarding the NBA and the Bulls. So stay tuned here because I've got some ideas. If we can't get enough, what I feel, enough Bulls content or enough NBA content on the show that I'm hosting every morning, uh, we're going to make sure that there is a podcast for you and I to be able to communicate regarding uh, this upcoming season because there's a lot of moving parts, like Westbrook and Wall. What's up with that deal? Westbrook goes to the Washington Wizards and John Wall goes to the Houston Rockets. And the, the and Wall going to the Rockets was an idea from James Harden because James feels like he could play better with John Wall. Okay, we'll see how that happens. And then Washington with um, Westbrook. Well, like I said, at least there's a little bit more star power in the East, if nothing else. But it was kind of like, hey, I've got um, a crap... A contract and you got a crap contract why don't we swap crap contracts and figure it out just i just thought that that was that deal was bizarre it didn't help anybody i don't think but those are some of the storylines i want to talk to you about and all oh, the schedule the schedule release So, opening night is Tuesday, December 22nd. Golden State, without Klay Thompson, more than likely Klay Thompson will be out for the season again because of that devastating injury that he suffered as he was trying to make his return. Golden State against uh, Brooklyn at 6 o'clock Central Time on the 22nd, and then the second leg of that doubleheader is the Clippers and the Lakers at 9 o'clock, both of those on TNT. And then Christmas Day. I look so forward to Christmas Day. I can just lay on the couch, on the Hood Cave, and it looks like I won't be traveling this year to, during Christmas, but I can be on the couch watching Pelicans Heat at 11, Golden State, Milwaukee at 130, Nets, Celtics at 4, Dallas and the Champs, the Lakers at 7, and the Clippers, Denver, eh, I'll, i maybe I'll watch. Um, but... <laughs> All those games are either on ESPN or ABC. I look forward to the Christmas Day game, just like NFL fans look forward to um, the NFL games on Thanksgiving. I look forward to my Christmas Day, and we'll see what that looks like in these arenas again with no fans. Uh, I would imagine, and all of them looking at to see Miami, uh, Florida is kind of open for business here. Uh, Wisconsin, no. Um, Boston, no. L.A., no. And Denver. I don't think so. So, but it'll be. I'm interested to find out how the NBA handles all this in these empty arenas um, across the landscape. And finally, let's talk a little bit about Len Casper because we're 30 minutes in here, and I want to play for you what Len Casper told Cap and I. So, Len Casper, this is was interesting, right? Uh, earlier this week, we heard rumblings that the White Sox were looking to fill their role for a play-by-play guy on the radio side. Of course, the White Sox are now on ESPN 1000, a station I've been with for over 15 years. And so they have made their return. They haven't been with ESPN 1000 since 2005. That's cool. I'm happy for it. As a Sox fan, it's a team that, that means the most to me in the city. Growing up 20 minutes from the ballpark, it's really cool and spent a lot of time there as a kid and as an adult. So it's really cool. And so the Sox have been looking for a play-by-play man on the radio side with Darren Jackson. And we start hearing rumblings that Lynn Casper um, could be looking to go elsewhere after his time at Marquee and with the Cubs all those years. And I never put two and two together. And when we found out the information that Len Casper was coming over to be the White Sox radio announcer, my jaw dropped to the floor. My jaw dropped. I'm like, what? That's something. Because <laughs> I did not expect Len Casper to take a White this White Sox job. It was a job that was available, sure. And there were some names that I could tell you that We're vying for that job, but I didn't expect that to happen, and it happened, and I'm happy for Len Casper. I'm very happy for him. He's been with the Cubs for such a long time, and he's looking for a new challenge, and I totally get it. I will tell you that even though the glamour and the payoff is great on television, it's nothing like that pure radio call. I'll say that for myself as a UIC Flames broadcaster. I did radio first, I was, the games used to be on ESPN 1000 for the UIC Flames. And now the games are exclusively on ESPN Plus and it's not, it's great, I love this. I wanna do this forever, being, the, being part of the UIC Flames. But there's nothing like that radio call. And I see where Len's coming from. For someone who grew up listening to radio as a kid, listening to Ernie Harwell, the longtime voice of the Detroit Tigers. And for him to love radio that much. And I remember listening to Len do some play-by-play here and there for Pat Hughes on the radio side for the Cubs. I said, well, this guy's really enjoying it. He's a, a, a well-rounded broadcaster that likes his radio, likes his TV. He, he can do both. And then here you go. Now he has the opportunity to be able to do full stop the radio side for the Chicago White Sox. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. There was a, there was disenchantment between Hawk Harrelson and Ed Farmer, um, that I was told about for years. Where there was some nonsense between those two, and that should never have been the case. I don't know what their problem was, but you didn't feel like the radio side, the TV side was harmonious with the with the the socks over the years, and to see Jason Benetti and Steve Stone, a solid combination on the TV side. On the radio side now, having Lynn Casper, who wants to do radio, who wants to call the final pitch of the World Series for the White Sox because he couldn't do that with the Cubs with Pat Hughes in the chair. That's got to be great for him. He has the opportunity to do that now with a good young up-and-coming ball club with the White Sox. So I'm happy for Lynn to be able to get this opportunity uh, and um, for him to be part of the White Sox team. Now, as a White Sox fan, I feel great about both The radio and TV, I feel like I'm not going to miss anything now with those two. So, as I mentioned, David and I got a chance to talk to uh, Len Casper, the new voice of the Chicago White Sox on ESPN 1000. He'll be teamed with uh, Darren Jackson. Some thoughts now as we play for you, if you missed it, our conversation with Len Casper. David Kaplan. Jonathan Hood. Our new morning show. This is Cap and Jay Hood
4: on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN Chicago app. Scope wants
2: to kind of get this ball down get the slider or the sinker down enough. It's not super fast, so get that double play out of it. In the air to left, it's very well hit. And one minute.
4: Well, a two-run and the White Sox lead 3
5: to 1. What a moment for young Eli Jimenez comes back here to face the Cubs, his original organization.
4: I believe Pedro Strop, if my memory's correct, we have a new teammate yeah, I remember here that. at our station. Very well, I remember that very well, well. Yes, you do. Sox fan, I remember it, pal. Thanks, Cubs! Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we have a new teammate here at the station. I've known him for 16 years since he became the voice of the Chicago Cubs back after the 2004 season. He is... As hardworking, as good a dude, as good an announcer as you're gonna find, and he's now our teammate, and he is the new play-by-play voice of the Chicago White Sox on ESPN 1000. He's also our friend. We welcome Len Casper to the show. Len, I could not be happier for you. I think I speak for Hoodie. We're thrilled you're our teammate. I think White Sox fans today hit a home run.
5: Good morning, Cap Jay Hood. Great to talk to you. How you doing? Been a while, yeah. Um, guys, this is uh, this is an exciting day. Uh, my head's spinning. Uh, I think a lot of people's heads are spinning. Uh, I'm sure uh, we can kind of go through this process here uh, over the next few minutes. But I just want to start by saying, 12-year-old Len Casper is as thrilled as can be. Uh, anyone who's known me for more than a day <laughs> in this business understands how I was drawn to the game of baseball. I wanted to be Ernie Harwell, who was the longtime Hall of Fame radio voice of the Tigers. And my baseball broadcasting career uh, took a different turn. And it it was an amazing turn. It was into television. Uh, I was often asked if the Cubs job was my dream job. I said, no, it was well beyond my dreams. And that is true and will be true until the day I die. Um, I've banked 16 amazing seasons with them, and uh, at my age, and I think anyone out there who uh, is uh, around 50 or so can understand this, Uh, you think about uh, your legacy, you think about things that you'd like to do uh, before you retire or before uh, the end of your life, and this was something that I had been thinking about uh, for a long time. So. Uh, you know, I know a lot of people out there might wonder why I would uh, make a move like this, and uh, as I said, we can, we can go through some of the, the, the process. Uh, I just want to say a couple of things, and I don't want to make this a, an Oscar speech, but uh, I want to thank uh, the chairman, Jerry Reinsdorf, and, and Brooks Boyer in particular, for I- immediately embracing this idea. Uh, and I especially, you know, typically when you, when you take a job like this, you, you thank the people who are bringing you in, and that is paramount. Uh, but because of the unique nature of this move uh, from one big league team to another cross town, uh, I want to give a very special thanks to, to two uh, hugely important people in my life, personally and professionally, uh, and, and those guys are Crane Kenny and, and Mike McCarthy. What made this decision more difficult was my relationship with those two guys. And the start of the marquee network in particular uh, was so exciting. Uh, Through a pandemic, to try to start a TV network, you have no idea of the -the behind-the-scenes challenges that were overcome to get Cubs baseball on the air this year. The timing of this was simply there was an opportunity available that I had long thought about. And if you had followed my career at all, guys, there were hints along the way. I did a daily pre-game interview. I used to do it with uh, the pitching coach uh, when it was Chris Bosio, and then Jim Hickey. Uh, our last couple of years, I've interviewed various baseball people uh, and working with Zach Zaidman. And I did the fifth inning of play-by-play in the postseason. And I was on the field after the Cubs won the World Series in 2016 interviewing all the players so if if, if there's anybody out there who had no idea that the radio was embedded in my soul uh, just consider that those were things that meant a lot to me whether it meant nothing to anybody else so that's why this is happening and uh, I just the outpouring of support is amazing. I feel like I've attended my own fu- funeral over the last 24 hours. Uh, I understand some people are going to be upset, uh, and, and I also understand that. I, I don't take that lightly, but uh, let's make it very clear. If there's any anger or frustration on Cubs fans' part, it should be directed solely at me because uh, I'm the one who spearheaded this this crazy idea in the first place.
0: <laughs> well, well, Len, um, when I first heard about this, I turned to cap, I said, do you understand the history of what's happening here? You think about Harry Carey and Jack Brickhouse and Steve Stone and Bob Elson. Those broadcasters, both did the Cubs and the White Sox, and now you're part of that history. Does that resonate with you at all? You know, Jay,
5: it does resonate, but it has nothing to do with this decision. Um, you know, I uh, I love the fact that it's a two-team town. You've got a charter member of the National League, which, you know, every year when we started, I would say it's the 134th National League season of Chicago Cubs baseball. And I'll do that uh, with the White Sox uh, going back to the early days of the American League. The rich history here is unmatched. And to be able to experience uh, uh, those things on both sides of town was incredibly alluring. Um, but it wasn't as if I thought, well, I've got to do the reverse Harry, or I have to make sure I match, uh, you know, what Jack Brickhouse did, or, uh, you know, I know Stoney has, has worked, uh, and played for both teams. Uh, DJ played for both teams. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, a, it's a really fascinating connection. And, and let me also say that this was a frictionless week. Uh, the amount of cooperation between Crane, uh, and Mr. Reinsdorf and Brooks Boyer and Mike McCarthy and Tom Ricketts. Uh, it, it really was something to behold. There, there was no animosity. This was all done for the right reasons. Um, the Cubs did everything they could to keep me, uh, but at the end of the day, my, my gut said that this is something I want to try and do, and uh, here we go.
4: Len Casper with us. He is the brand-new play-by-play voice here on ESPN 1000 for the Chicago White Sox. They're in the release that the White Sox sent to us. It says, in addition to his radio duties, Casper will serve as a member of the television announcing team for approximately 20 to 25 games on NBC Sports Chicago, depending upon schedules during the season. And Casper and television play-by-play man Jason Benetti plan to collaborate in creating several multimedia projects throughout the year, connecting White Sox baseball with fans in new ways. Can you shed more light on what that means? Because obviously we're huge fans of you, also huge fans of Benetti. That guy's awesome. I just want to ride his coattails. Uh, I gotta be
5: honest. Um, I talked to Jason last night and he dug up an email from like 2010 that he had sent me uh, regarding his work when he was doing I think AAA games. And I was just absolutely blown away at uh, his insight, his wit, his voice. Uh, he's one of the wisest human beings uh, I've ever met. I can't believe he's 36. Uh, he, 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 he's, he's an old soul in a young man's body, and uh, I, I'm so looking forward to, to hanging with him. Uh, I I, I had a long chat with DJ last night. Uh, What a great guy. We've been friends for a long time, and I can't wait uh, to work with him. Uh, I told him... The over-under on calling you J.D. is about 12 in the <laughs> first month of working together. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, Jason and I are going to have some fun. You know, I think there might be a podcast in our future. Um, and, guys, I, I'm going to get to do a handful of games with Stoney, which I'm really excited about. Uh, you know, I, I've long been a huge fan of his work. And remember, when I applied for the Cubs job, uh, going into 2005, it would have been November of 2004. I thought I was going to be, if I got hired working with Stoney, uh, it didn't work out that way, and I ended up with, with Bob Brenly and then and then Jim Deshays two, two of the greats. Um, but it, it, it'll be fun to do a, a handful of games with Stoney, too.
0: Lynn, uh, we were talking, uh, Cap and I, about the difference of, in television and radio, and I still yeah. love being able to do radio play-by-play. I do it on the television, but it's not me painting the picture on television like I do on radio. Can you tell us about the memories you had as a kid listening to radio and why that's so big for you? Well, two friends uh, said
5: interesting things to me over the past 24 hours. One sent me a note, um, it was a quote, I believe, that said, baseball is the only sport you can see on the radio, uh, which is true. Uh, And then the other one was, uh, as as great as, as it is watching baseball on television, the, the radio play-by-play announcer is the voice of summer, and that's exactly right. When you're watching TV, you're generally in an air-conditioned uh, living room, but when you're out in the sunshine or in your car or doing what you do uh, when the weather's nice, the companion you have is is baseball on the radio and that's how i grew up i think all of us did uh, that is incredibly enticing um you you everything that the listener sees it comes through their ears you know and 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 to be able to to try to paint that picture is something i i take as a challenge i, I haven't done it a ton i think i would be good at it Baseball play by play on the radio versus TV is singles versus doubles in tennis. Anyone who plays tennis at any level gets that concept. It's the same game, but the strategies are completely different. And, uh, you know, that that's a, an opportunity and a challenge that I, I want to tackle at, at, at my lot in life, so to speak.
4: Len, I said to Jonathan earlier that as a young baseball fan, it was always my favorite sport. The announcers, whether it was Jack Brickhouse on the radio or Luke Boudreau on the radio or whoever it was, you became the soundtrack of my youth and my summer. Can you just shed a little light on the impact? They're going to be little kids. As this White Sox team looks like it's poised to go on a hell of a run, you are going to be the soundtrack of their youth. That is no small feather in your cap. I can't wrap my arms around
5: that one, Cat, but every once in a while I get a tweet or a note or I run into somebody uh, and and he or she says, you know, I I grew up listening to you, which of course immediately makes me feel old, but the the, the main takeaway is it it, it hits home just how important baseball is uh, on an everyday basis. It's unlike any other sport in that regard, you know, it's it's a daily soap opera. I, I have a really good friend who told me uh, he happened to be uh, in the hospital. I think he was visiting a friend and he said you know channel nine uh, was on the television and it was the Cubs game and he said it, it made everybody uh, in, in the hospital who were there for reasons they didn't want to be there feel a little bit better and, and that, that that made me emotional to think about the responsibility we have uh, in this position. So, uh, yeah, it it is really important. I don't take it uh, lightly, Cap. Um, I I also think that you understand this, and you guys are a part of people's daily lives. When you're doing your job, you you can't think about the big picture all the time. You just, you gotta do the best job you can, and you hope at the end of the day uh, that, that it has that impact. And whenever anybody tells me that, uh, it, it means the world.
0: Uh, so, how are you on the guitar uh, on "Steam na na? Nah, nah. Are you? Are you gonna... <laughs> Wait, okay. I'm going to have to learn that one for sure. Um,
5: you know, it strikes me as probably the kind of song I could could figure out
0: at some point. Uh, so, what do you think of the ball club this year? What do you think about it? It's gonna, this is uh, on the right track for sure. As a White Sox fan, Len, I, I'm looking forward to season after season with this young core. They're a fun team to watch.
5: And, uh, you know, we, we got a big taste of that this year in the Crosstown Series. The uh, two games in particular at Wrigley uh, the Jose Abreu had. Uh, I, I said it uh, after the season I thought the best pitched game uh, for the Chicago Cubs in 2020, and and keep in mind, I called a no hitter, and I called a what you know 101 pitch complete game shutout on on opening day from Kyle Hendricks. I thought the best pitched game was Yu Darvish on that Sunday as the Cubs salvaged the finale because of how hot the White Sox offense was. Uh, they're going to score a ton of runs. Um, You know, Abreu uh, has gotten better with age. Typically, that profile does not um, get even better. Uh, What a year he had. Tim Anderson, to me, um, reminds me of Javi Baez. There's an excitement factor there. Luis Robert, I know, uh, had to make some adjustments late in the season. but. Uh, he's as, as exciting uh, an outfielder uh, as there is in the game, and I thought the grand pickup was huge. Uh, the offense is going to be in good shape. I think ultimately it will come down to, to pitching. Uh, after, you know, Gialito and Keuchel, um, you know, you're going to have to have some guys step up. But uh, there's a lot of confidence, and I think making the postseason, even though it was a, uh, an expanded postseason this year, uh, will serve this team very well moving forward.
4: Well, we are thrilled you're our teammate. Jason Benetti said he wanted you to know. Thanks, Cubs! So we are thrilled you're our teammate, man, and let's see where this rocket ship goes.
1: Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I look forward to
4: many conversations.